0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the State of Innovation podcast brought to you by the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition. I'm Matt Bragg, director of ISTC. Today we have a really interesting conversation with Rob Patino, who's the director of the Office of Technology Transfer uh, with the Southern Illinois University System. We touch on Rob's journey from studying chemical engineering in college to IP law uh, and then the tech transfer office there at, at SIU. Um, we also talk about SIU's role in economic development and innovation for the central and southern parts of the state of Illinois uh, and, and some of the great innovation work that's going on there uh, and Rob's efforts to try to make sure that innovation that happens at, at SIU is able to reach industry and help create jobs and, and benefit companies that are, that are working in some of these fields. We also touch on Research Enabled, which is a new platform that SIU has built with partners uh, in the state of Missouri and EDA funding. Uh, And Research Enabled is a platform that's connecting industry with university researchers and really kind of helping break down some barriers between industry and universities that can sometimes limit that activity. Um, So without further ado, here's my conversation with Rob. So, Rob Pitino, thanks for joining me on the State of Innovation podcast. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here. So, um, I want to get started by talking a little bit about your background before we dive into all the things that SIU is working on and, you know, some of your efforts to connect industry with universities and um, do things around, you know, joint research and that kind of thing. So, Um, If you would, maybe give us a little bit of an overview of your career path and kind of how you ended up in tech transfer there at SIU.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, it's very, uh, it was a very serendipitous uh, path, I'll tell you that. Um, I am originally from Springfield, Illinois, and uh, got my chemical engineering degree at the University of Iowa. Uh, Tried working at a chemical plant and muscatine iowa where i decided that wasn't my cup of tea got a job offer in uh, chicago working for anderson consulting at the time which is now accenture Uh, did that for a while met some really nice folks from spain ended up moving to spain for a little bit uh, before starting uh, my law school uh, path which uh, to be honest with you the only reason why i started that is because the dot-com bubble Popped, and uh, it was really difficult to find a job. So why not uh, get another degree? So um, did law school. Um, after law school, uh, moved back down to Springfield, hoping to get a job with the uh, federal government. Uh, some of those jobs take uh, a few years to, to pass all the clearance and background and other stuff that they, uh, they want you to do. During that time, I was practicing a little bit of law and uh, Mostly intellectual property law. Uh, SIU, the School of Medicine, uh, was my biggest client when um, their director position had opened up there. So uh, applied there, and uh, that's what got my foot in the tech transfer. So been at SIU since two thousand and six. Fifteen years later, I'm still here.
0: Yeah. So I mean, beyond you know that job opening, what attracted you to some of that tech transfer and, and kind of the university setting?
1: So I I think it was a combination of mostly trying to find a a career that would uh, use a lot of my skills. Um, And so I I found that. And the nice thing about working at the university is that I also get to uh, teach. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at the law school. I also hold a cross appointment in the medical humanities group at at the medical school. So I teach an intellectual property commercialization and a patent course at, at the, uh, the law school. And we also take on a number of interns that I enjoy teaching how to draft and prosecute patents. Sometimes yeah, that's great. I-
0: yeah. So I I want to, before we dive too deep into what's you know going on at SIU, maybe you can give us just a little bit of an overview of what tech transfer even is. You know, we, we talk about all the time, tech transfer and commercialization out of universities, but um, I think, you know, it can get pretty jargony pretty quickly, right? So maybe just give us, you know, your view on on what this work is and, and kind of everything that it encapsulates.
1: Well, I, I think the way I describe my job to uh, a lot of laypersons that aren't familiar in, in the space, I say, well, we basically take the uh, concepts, ideas, or discoveries that our faculty and sometimes our staff make, we bundle them in an intellectual property portfolio, which could be anything from uh, just basic patent rights to know how to trade secrets, sometimes trademarks, copyrights, and then we uh, out license them to third parties, um, usually for profit industry to commercialize that because the university isn't in the uh, isn't in the market to build, create, and, and market this kind of stuff. We leave that up to industry folks to help make these uh, products or services available for public consumption. So that's it in a nutshell. I'm, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that we do in tech transfer, but uh, that's the nucleus of, of what tech transfer is.
0: Yeah, no, that's helpful. I think sometimes in talking about this work, you know, in the work that ISTC does and, and trying to support its university partners that are commercializing, you know, new innovations and doing things around IP, uh, we can sometimes kind of get lost in the weeds. And I think it's important sometimes to take a step back and be like, you know, why are we why are we doing these things? Why are we supporting our universities that are, um, you know, trying to get their innovations out into industry, right? So they can then um, use those things to, you know, create jobs and and kind of uh, increase their competitiveness in these markets. So I think that's helpful. Um, now turning to a little bit more of what SIU is doing, and I know you're with the SIU system, right? So that includes the Carbondale campus, the Edwardsville campus, and the Springfield uh, School of Medicine. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, the innovation activities that are going on across the campuses and, and kind of how they all kind of work together to drive economic development for, for Central and Southern Illinois.
1: Yeah, so there are three main campuses, although there are uh, other satellite campuses, like our Dennis school, uh, dentistry school is out in Alton, and school has satellites and Quincy and Decatur and other areas, but, you know, we mostly focus on three campuses, Carbondale, Edwardsville, and Springfield. And each campus has their own unique uh, assets and unique needs. Um, so Carbondale is probably uh, the one most isolated, and I say that um, with affectionate terms, but uh, they have their own research park, and they also have uh, a lot more research uh, assets down there that, that can be leveraged. But the research park really helps with uh, the, the local economy and uh, helping our inventors and, and people outside of SIU with uh, teaching them how to start companies and, and getting things off the ground. Uh, Edwardsville um, is definitely up and coming with their research capacity, but their proximity to St. Louis. They, they leverage uh, T-Rex, which is right across the river in St. Louis, and uh, often a lot of faculty will use STL bio and, and other things in that region to kind of help them move along uh, their assets and, and help with their commercialization act, uh, activities. In Springfield, uh, UIS has recently come up with uh, Innovate Springfield, which is an incubator here in Springfield, and they've hosted a number of SBIR programs that our faculty have attended and and, and have benefited from. So uh, it just depends on the campus and the resources that are there.
0: So I'm curious, Rob, if there are maybe just, you know, one initiative that you'd like to highlight at each of the campuses that's kind of new and and innovative that, you know, our listeners might be uh, uh, wanting to look out for.
1: Yeah, I think there's uh, a few things that we can highlight from each campus. you know, specifically at the School of Medicine, um, they've really been pushing their uh, population science program, which is like a public health uh, in, in an effort, which is very serendipitous with the whole uh, COVID outbreak and, and how that uh, might affect an ur- urban population versus a rural population. Uh, I know in our Edwardsville campus, um, we, we've got a very proud insert program which is a corn to ethanol research facility but they do so much more than corn uh, and they process a lot of uh, other types of of, uh, bioproducts to uh, through their fermentation group and, and some really wonderful innovations coming out of that and i i will highlight down in our carbondale campus one thing that's really unique is their cannabis science center uh you know what that tries to do is bring healthcare education and the commercialization aspects that are now uniquely available here in Illinois that um, isn't available in a lot of states um, with these new initiatives and new laws that are coming on. So uh,
0: those are some things
1: we'd, we'd like to highlight.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I, I'm curious to, um, you know, what are some of the challenges related to innovation and economic development in the regions that that SIU serves? I mean, obviously, we live in a, a diverse state regionally and economically with um, kind of Chicago and then um, other parts of the state that are more rural and more focused on agriculture and some of these other industries. Um, you know, I, I, like to think of it um, in the work that ISTC does is kind of leveraging our regional state universities to really be economic hubs for their regions, right? So I'm curious, you know, in SIU's capacity, you know, what are some of the, you know, the challenges and opportunities to, to being that economic hub for the region?
1: Yeah, I think the, the biggest challenge, and, and this is what um, is, is very different uh, from SIU than, than our counterparts up in the Chicago area is that we are more sparsely populated. Uh, the assets are a lot uh, sparser as well, but more importantly, um, it's the. I, I think the investment opportunities. Uh, there's there are some investment groups down in uh, southern and central Illinois, but we find them to be very very conservative, and um, you know if they had a. a choice of investing in a low-risk but low-return building opportunity, a brick-and-mortar shop or high-risk, high-return, uh, high-tech uh, technology, they're, they're going to go with the brick-and-mortar. And we also find as, as our companies mature um, and they need greater uh, resources, especially in, in the financial and, and in other areas, they, they tend to leave the region and will often travel to the coast because that's where the monies the are to uh, grow and expand. So that's a, a major uh, challenge for us in, in central and southern Illinois. Um, so, you know, part of that though is, you know, I would like to somehow leverage uh, Chicago more and, and the resources up there back down into central and southern Illinois we, we do do a lot in St. Louis, but the resources in Chicago uh, are, are much greater than what we can find in the St. Louis region.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, when you think about um, kind of the reputation that the Midwest has for um, kind of conservatism when it comes to investments. I mean, that's even prevalent in Chicago. Right. I mean, we we have there was a statistic out there that Chicago had the the highest uh, returns for VC. Um, And one of the theories for that was basically that, you know, the VCs in Chicago were only really willing to put money in what they thought were sure things. Right. The kind of appetite for risk wasn't there. Um, But then when you look within the state. Right. Some of the the other, you know, investors uh, outside of Chicago, I think, are even more conservative. Right. So it's it's can be a challenge to kind of, you know, find the right investments uh, in some of these more rural areas um, and connect them with the investment. community. So I know one of the things that ISTC is working on is, you know, really trying to build connections between um, some of these you know, startups or technologies that aren't located in downtown Chicago. Um, And trying to make sure that the investment community in Chicago, which is obviously, you know, the vast majority of of the investment community in the state, is aware of these opportunities that, you know, might not come through a Chicago-based incubator or, um, you know, one of the largest universities in the state or some pitch competition, right? But instead really make sure that they have kind of a window into innovation happening across the state. Um, while at the same time, you know, not just showing them, hey, this company exists in Carbondale or Edwardsville or Springfield, um, but actually making those connections. So it's, it's something that ISTC is working on. And I'm hopeful in the next, um, you know, in the next several months, we'll be able to kind of unveil some programming to, to help make those connections, not just between the startup community and innovators and, and investors, but also corporations in the state. Um, because Illinois is blessed with, you know, a pretty large corporate community. I think we have the fourth largest concentration of Fortune 500s in the country, um, you know, and some of those are not in the Chicago area, right? I mean, we've got Caterpillar and ADM that are in Central Illinois and, um, you know, John Deere and, and those that are in kind of the, the Northwest part of the state. So, you know, I think there's a real opportunity to, you know, build kind of some connectivity between those innovations and startups uh, in the state and and make sure that, you know, everyone, investors, corporations, our entrepreneurial community are able to kind of connect um, geographically across the state. So I think we're looking forward to to working on that more in the future. Um, But the next thing I wanted to get to is your work with Research Enabled. So I know I've been working with you on this for For months now, um, you know, trying to support the work that you all are doing and and building uh, what I think is a really innovative platform to connect industry partners with researchers at universities uh, and really trying to make sure that we get this platform in front of as many partners as we can, because I think it it's a really strong platform that helps kind of break down some of the barriers between industry and, and researchers at universities. So um, maybe if you can start just by kind of giving us an overview of how Research Enabled came about uh, and then kind of the capabilities that it has.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll try and give you the, the clip notes version of that. But uh, ba- basically, um, you know, from a tech transfer perspective, what we often do is we develop uh, or we protect ideas that may or may not be ready for industry to adopt and, and develop, and so we, I call it the push model. We push ideas on our industry partners and if they're not ready for it, then we hope that the faculty member might create a startup company and, and incubate that further to where it becomes attractive, which, you know, it's completely up to the faculty member to, Go through that exercise and, and invest that time, which doesn't often happen. Uh, there was a model that was very similar to this at Penn State called Gateway Innovation, and I call that the pull model. And uh, basically, it's what industry now has an opportunity to communicate what their research needs, we call it research challenges, are. And um, our faculty then have an opportunity to um, communicate what they believe might be solutions to. And if they got more than one, they can post two or three if, if they have uh, different ways to skin that cat. And then basically the industry partner can then uh, take that idea and, and sponsor it or throw resources behind it if they, if they like that concept. So that's what the, the basic model was. Um, we've grown the platform beyond that to help with collaborations amongst uh, Academia. So right now we uh, have a partner with the University of Missouri system. So basically, there's seven campuses: three with SIU and four with Missouri. And if if somebody, uh, I often like to use maybe we have a physician who wants uh, somebody with some expertise with some memory shape alloy, and they could submit something on the portal and find that expert to to help with that medical device that they want to build. Or uh, maybe there's a, a new drug, but it needs a delivery vehicle, such as um, some some type of solution, and, and that can go out on the portal and, and, a, and uh, uh, somebody with that expertise can propose a solution to that. Um, but and, and then beyond that, a lot of the regional manufacturers, if they have some need for some equipment or even some local expertise let's say there's a company in Marion and they don't want to go all the way to Rolla for something, but there's something in Carbondale, uh, maybe they need a scanning electron microscope or something that they can't afford to buy on their own, but they can rent one from the university and use that awfully quickly. This platform allows them to find that resource very quickly. The main goal was really to uh, get enough critical mass of faculty members because at SIU, we do not have that alone. And by combining our strength with the University of Missouri system, become become a lot more attractive for uh, industry partners to engage with uh, in, in submitting uh, good research need challenges. And we also wanna try and keep the research dollars here in the region, because if like some of our, our good partners, um, like Bayer Crop Science, you know, they're, they're gonna go uh, anywhere and everywhere. But if we have something very attractive for them to use locally, they'll be uh, more excited to use that and, and leverage that. And we'll keep the research dollars here in, in the region instead of having it go out to one of the coasts.
0: Yeah, I, I have been so impressed by Research enabled's ability to kind of break down the traditional you know, barriers between industry and working with universities. I mean, I I feel like, you know, this is all anecdotal, of course, but you hear kind of stories of industry members who were like, yeah, you know, we were interested in working with this university, um, but we just couldn't quite figure out how to make it work, right? There was um, kind of too much red tape between, um, you know, us and and getting to those innovations that were coming through the university. Um, And I think Uh, Something that's great about uh, Research Enabled, too, is that aspect of the industry member being able to say, hey, you know, to this network of universities, I have this issue, this challenge that I think you might be able to help me with, um, you know, and and kind of broadcast it out, cast a really wide net. Um, So you're getting right to researchers and innovators at these universities who could, you know, potentially cast a, a... a proposal to the industry member and say, hey, I, I think I have a really innovative solution to your issue. Um, and then they're kind of off and running, right? So it doesn't require the industry member to go through, um, you know, all the administration and and kind of trickle down to somebody that uh, the university thinks, you know, might be willing to work with the industry partner, right? You're kind of getting directly to somebody who's, um, you know, likely enthusiastic to, to work with the industry member. Um, and I think another thing that's, that's great about it is from the university side, it's really providing opportunity to a wider array of faculty, right? I mean, I think so often um, at universities, including some of our bigger universities in the states, um, these kind of industry you know, connections are so network-based, right, and it really kind of favors faculty members who have, have been doing this for a long time and have built up these big networks of partners and industry um, that, you know, more junior faculty just haven't had time to develop, right? So, but if uh, if an industry member is just proposing this challenge uh, and anybody at the university can, um, you know, propose their solution, I think it gives a, a great opportunity to uh, a wider array of faculty to, to jump on board with that. Um, but I did want to um, maybe get back to how this all started, right? Because I think it's a great example of, um, you know, organizations in a region coming together um, that have a really good idea to solve a very real problem in kind of the innovation community, and then leveraging some EDA, you know, some federal funding um, to build something really impactful. And I know it's, you know, with our work on on the federal advocacy side, um, trying to grow these EDA um, policies and and grant programs, um, it's been a really encouraging, uh, you know, example for us to say, look, you know, we we go to the federal government to try to, you know, increase funding for these EDA programs, um, and here's why. Here's this research-enabled program that's come out of it um, that's really making an, uh, an impact for its region of the state. So maybe you can go back to the genesis of this and and kind of, you know, how you work to pull in partners and in Illinois and Missouri, um, and then leverage some you know, funding that you were able to, to pull together with that EDA funding to launch this initiative?
1: Yeah, we had looked um, initially, um, my, my counterpart at the U of I when I first started uh, thinking about this, had just left U of I to go work for MIT, um, that was Leslie Miller, but um, uh, I, we, I have some great relationships with the universities in the St. Louis area at SLU, WashU and and UMSL, and uh, communicated this with them. Uh, We kicked it around, did some due diligence, uh, looked at, uh, we surveyed uh, 12 uh, Fortune 500, you know, uh, companies in the region as to whether or not they'd use the platform or not. Um, We had a very good response, about 75%, which we now will say is is over that because Boeing has now Uh, come on board as as willing to use the platform and um, you know so we built a coalition um, even though at the end WashU and SLU did not join us and UMSL was able to get the University of Missouri system on board it's our expectation that we're going to now that this is up and running we are going to grow this and and recruit other uh, universities but going back to the genesis you know, we wanted this to be a, a very good economic development model. We incorporated uh, St. Louis Bio to make sure we were getting the bio field. We were uh, getting IMEC, uh, which is a small to mid-sized manufacturing group in Illinois and their counterpart in, in Missouri on board to make sure we were targeting uh, those types of companies and getting their input on how best to use this platform. Uh, T-Rex was another one. They, they specialized with a lot of high-tech companies and startups and just see how we could be a a service to to those types of companies. So a lot of those are startups and entrepreneurs that might want uh, faculty uh, within our university systems to help uh, apply for an SBIR, STTR foundational grant to help get their companies off the ground. And then yeah with the EDA funding there was this i6 challenge grant that uh, really spelled out how you know, the, the grants are very are a very good exercise to go through uh, the application process because it really gets you think about you know, building a good governance structure, uh, sustainability structure, and, and making sure you're reporting all those uh, adequately. So we are starting to get into our third year of, of the program and uh, looking to the future, we'll be looking uh, to uh, expand the research-enabled platform, and, and that's where we we'll
0: want to go next. Yeah, and I think you you touched on something that's really important there. That you know, when we go to Capitol Hill and talk to lawmakers about these EDA programs, I always bring up that factor that you know these these grants aren't you know uh, they aren't millions and millions of dollars, right? They're typically about a million dollars or less over three years. Uh, but what they really do is kind of you know, catalyze organizations to really work together, think about the initiative that they want to start, kind of how how it's going to look in the first year versus the third year and kind of plan out, um, you know, everything that they want to accomplish and, and staffing and budgeting and all of these things that it takes to really build a, an impactful initiative like this. Um, and it's just so catalytic to these regional uh, economic development initiatives, right? So, I mean, when, you, when you've got, Uh, a program that requires a one-to-one match in in in-kind funding, which I know Rob, you and I have kind of banged our heads against the wall at times trying to get to that match uh, and pull dollars in for these grant proposals. Um, But what it does do is is force groups that are are going in for these grants to really have to do a lot of due diligence and, and partnering and so much of the groundwork that it takes to be successful. Um, so you know that when EDA is funding one of these initiatives, um, you know, it's, it's a really valuable initiative and it's, it's not something that's starting from scratch and just got some funding and is now trying to figure out what it's doing, right? The, these initiatives have that kind of down and are ready to get that EDA funding and, and be up and running. So um, it's been something that, that we've been obviously very... Uh, encouraging of uh, on the federal side and then also helping um, our partners around the state to think about how they can access this funding and kind of what it takes to be successful um, but you touched on a little bit there as well kind of you know where does research enabled go from here I know um, we've been working to try to get other universities in Illinois um, on board and I think we we've developed some serious interest and awareness in the platform so uh, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about you know what the next, three to five years of research enabled looks like and, and what you're hoping to do uh, with the initiative?
1: Well, I, I think the uh, the most ideal situation would be to secure some uh, additional uh, funding, whether that's through the EDA or some other uh, agency, whether it's through the state or um, there's NSF and, and other granting agencies at the federal level. but we will continue to look for those opportunities. Um, if And and the good thing about securing something like that is that it, it makes it easier to onboard additional universities because there is an expense on, uh, you know, getting them up and running uh, to use the platform. Uh, absent that, uh, it will likely be up to the research enabled group to uh, grow organically independent of any kind of of funding that would uh, you know uh, be provided but I I don't think that's a a major barrier because the platform has now been built um, and I think it's ready to be adopted and 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 utilized very quickly Um, and I think strategically it makes a lot of sense for it to grow north into Illinois outside of Springfield and southern Illinois Uh, hopefully um I think it makes a lot of sense up in Northern Illinois, where there's a lot of industry partners out there. And um, one of the challenges you find with a platform like Research Enabled, uh, we have a really great relationship with the industry partners in our region, especially in St. Louis, uh, because they trust us, they know us, but it's it's harder to get that buy-in if you're not from the region. Uh, and uh, as we grow, uh, and you're in that community. It's going to be easier for those industry partners in that community to trust. If you, let's just say we had a Northern Illinois, for example. Um, well, now you know those, those companies in that region will trust the platform and, and uh, want to use it. So uh, there's there's that factor, and we'll just see where it goes from there. It's just going to be uh, what universities feel like the uh, value proposition is in investing in uh, in. Uh, coming
0: onto that platform. Yeah, and I think the advantage you have is the platform is just really strong, right? I think when we've, um, you know, we've sat together and and demoed this to universities and industry partners, and I think, you know, once they sit down and see it, they go, wow, this is, this is something that could really make, you know, an impact for us, and I think, um, as you mentioned, it's all about, you know, getting more universities on the platform, getting more industry partners on the platform. So the value of it to both sides of that equation just continues to grow. Uh, But I think, you know, with the value of of what you've built, I think there's a a really good chance of being able to do that and and continue the growth uh, of Research Enabled here over the next few years.
1: Yeah, I I just think that, you know, hopefully, and I go to a lot of professional conferences, You know, you often hear the Midwest being referred to as flyover country, um, especially as far as looking where the innovation is and and those opportunities are. And I think this uh, platform can really create a a destination for uh, investors or companies to look for innovation that might fill their pipeline here in, uh, in the Midwest.
0: Yeah, and I, I certainly do hate that term flyover country. I think it's it's uh, far too dismissive of, of the great things that are happening at at you know universities and innovation centers across the Midwest and, and other parts of the country that um, you know, frankly a lot of investors and and folks are just missing out on because they're not taking the time to look for it. So I, I'm glad that, you know, you've been able to build a platform that I think is is really gonna, you know, hopefully help change that you know, kind of perception that, that this is flyover country because uh, I think we've, we've proven when you, when you really look at what's going on, that that's not the case. Uh, but Rob, I, I wanna thank you for coming on the show today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and, and catching up on uh, the work you've been doing with Research Enable and, and all the other great things going on uh, at, there at uh, SIU. Right. Thanks, Matt. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks, Rob.